was trying to think of uh, a sermon title. I don't usually title my sermons very often. I kind of just put them with the scripture. But I went with choose redemption. And when we choose redemption, we have to choose a redeemer. We know that as Christians, but not everybody does, right? And because our debt is too, too big for us, it's too heavy for our shoulders. And it's been just, there's been a lament on my shoulders today. And it's just, I don't know, since Friday, that's when I wrote this sermon, that people don't understand God's grace. They just don't understand it. And it's very frustrating to me as a pastor to be able to try to communicate something that is so unfathomable, yet so simple. Because it's huge. God's grace is so enormous, right? I can think of the sins in my life, and God's grace covers all those. And then if we combine this room, this county, this state, this country, this world, it is so immense. And then you think of all people for all time, and he's got those too. And the sacrifice that Jesus Christ went through for me, for you. And I say for me because when I get to that point, I'm like, I, I sit there sometimes, and I know I'm, up, I'm about to sin again, and I think of Jesus on the cross. Are you going to stick one more sin on that pile? Are you going to put one more weight on that? And unfortunately, a lot of times I do. And when I return to him in repentance for my Redeemer, when I reach out for my Redeemer to pay my debt again, he does it freely. He does it with grace doesn't hold it over my head and gah, the only guy that's holding it over my head is me so I choose redemption and when I I get in that mindset God does big things in my life so I I compel you this morning this that's the heart of where this message is coming from this morning and I write this Every time I go through the book of John, it seemed like every time I look at the author of John, so when we're going through Revelation, it comes back to sharing the gospel, to, to talk about God's grace, to obeying his commandments. And I'm like, again? We're going to preach on that again. And he's like, yes. When they get it, then we'll move on. We're getting closer to the end. We're in Jesus' last week, right? And, and I, I'm not saying you don't get it, okay? But the depth of it, the depth we will never get. We'll never get the depth of God's love for us, will we? And that's what I'm trying to convey. That's why I'm trying to compel each one of you into this morning. So in the Gospel of John, we see many of the recorded stories of Jesus revolve around Jewish holidays, don't we? So we first come into the story of Jesus, and most likely it's, it's the first Passover that he encounters. And then we hit Purim, 
which is the story that we find in Ruth. And then we hit another Passover, which is early on. And we don't really have those recorded in the other three synoptic Gospels. These are all stories that come from the book of John. And then we get to the Festival of the Tabernacles, which is an interesting, interesting story in itself. Um, the reminders, the symbolism there is amazing. Maybe someday we might have to have Jews for Jesus come in and, and do that again. They've, they've done that in churches past, and it is just amazing uh, when they set up a tabernacle up here and they show you the symbolism, my jaw drops open every time and they say, you don't see Jesus? That was his message. It's there. Open your eyes. And as I read through this story today, what I find is the people saw Jesus and the leaders saw Jesus. And they willingly rejected him as Messiah. I think they even recognized him as Messiah and said, we are not going down that path. You know what that's called? It's called rebellion. That is straight up rebellion. It's like a two-year-old coming up to you and saying, no, I'm going to do it all by myself. And you're like, oh, no, you're not. You know what happens there, don't you? They get a spanking, or they should. Definitely discipline. For Piper, it didn't really work to spank her. If you want to get Piper, you put her in timeout, and she will just, bah! right? Oh, man. So here we are in timeout. We move on through to Hanukkah, and then finally we come back to the Passover, Jesus' last Passover. And what do we know who Jesus is about the Passover? Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? He is our sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And it just, bah, that's, that's where I want to go. Lord, let me hang on to this. Let me hang on to this. I don't know if I can make through this sermon without crying today. So we'll see. It's, he is really putting it on my heart this morning. So, you know, this story really starts at 11. Chap, chapter 11 55 is where we find out that it's Passover. And in the next four sentences that I figure, Passover is mentioned three times. So we really have some significance there. Why would he mention Passover three times if it weren't significant? And what do we know about Passover? We know there has to be a sacrifice, right? There has to be shedding of blood to remember what God did for the firstborn. Can you believe what he did for our firstborn, for the Jewish firstborn, and what he did for his firstborn? He took his firstborn to save our firstborn. They belong to him. If you look through the Old Testament, it says, the firstborn belonged to me. God, not Shane. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Let's not get crazy, right? They belong to God. You have to buy them back from me. That was part of the temple tax. When you find Mary and Joseph going to the temple, they are at the eighth day, they're getting Jesus circumcised, and they're buying back their firstborn son. Because God is going to give his to pay for all 
firstborn sons. Whoa. Does that set in a little bit more? I hope so. I can't get over it. I, I, I can't fathom that. I, I have a hard time and I wrestle with that with the Lord um, in grace. So today we will see, we'll find Jesus back at Bethany ministering to the afflicted ones, which is what Bethany means, that, and then we will see those afflicted ones minister to Jesus because they understand what Jesus is going to do. So our main point today is when we choose his grace, we are redeemed, and through redemption, we have Jesus' resurrection power we put our faith into action. You ever go back? Someday, this week, go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You look through the Corinthians, and man, do you have some problems. Do you have a messed up church there? And they're all micro-problems that he is working through the list, especially in 1 Corinthians. But you get to 15 and he says, all these problems are summed up in one solution. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did it happen? Absolutely. He explains it. Did, um, did they try to hide it? Yes, it did. If it didn't happen, what happens to us? We don't matter. But it, guess what? It did happen, so yay. Basically how chapter 15 goes. And then he leaves you with, what are you going to do about it? Right? What are you going to do about it? If the resurrection is that important, what are you going to do about it? Who are you going to tell? Yeah. Oh. That's my, me frustrated at myself, right? Because... I should, I, I should be compelled to tell the story. I love to tell the story. I'm getting better at it. I, I, I think it comes easier with age. I think it comes easier, even more easier, with practice. So no matter how old you are, if you practice it, whew, it's just like, huh, that really isn't that offensive. Actually, they're actually curious about it. That's where I usually screw up, because then it's when I start rambling, and I'm like, they're like, whoa, you know, we're good with one dose, not 20. Okay, I got to remember, though, they'll, they'll probably come back to youth group. Uh, they'll probably come back. That's one reason why I like youth ministry so much, especially now. Uh, we got um, kids that are excited to come. I'm excited to be here. Uh, God's doing some amazing work because we've had fear, right? Fear draws you or pushes you away right? It can even push you away from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you look at King David, when he's bringing in the tabernacle or the, the, the altar, the, the ark, thanks, ark, ark, ark. <laughs> we bring in the ark in, right? And the guy reaches out and touches it. He dies and he's like, he's supposed to be the glory of Israel represented in a person, and you killed him? What are you doing, God? And God, and David goes and runs and hugs God? No. He's afraid of God. Because God's holiness is so 
holy, it can kill people. That's why we can't stand in the presence of God. We need a redeemer. We have to have somebody, an intercessor between God and man. This is one reason it was proposed that Mary couldn't cling to Jesus. He says, don't cling to me. And one of the guys in our Bible study says, I've heard it was because Jesus was holy at that point. And if she were to cling to him, she would have went to heaven with him. She would have died. And I said, I've never heard that before. And that's something I have to study. I thought that was very interesting. It makes total sense. Because why would Jesus, he's always allowed that happen, but not there. He said, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. That's interesting. And we'll get there eventually. So let's get into John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2. We're going to break down the first 12, I think maybe it's 11 verses of the chapter. And this is when Jesus is anointed by Mary. And I get passionate about this passage because Mary gets it. I really think the more and more I study, Mary understands what Jesus is going to do. And let's look at this. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. The dinner was being prepared in Jesus's honor. Mary served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Dead men don't eat, do they? People that are alive do. Lazarus was eating. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. You're a rascal. <laughs> Jesus, once again, chose the poor. That's the first blank this morning, or that's the first line. Jesus chose the poor. He had an opportunity, once again, go back to Jerusalem, and yet we find him out in Bethany with the afflicted ones. Jesus is preparing his last for his last Passover here on earth. And a little history lesson in about 1400 years earlier, 1445 BC, during the Passover, the Lord commanded each family to take a young male lamb and roast it whole over the fire. There's no broken bones, no blood is shed in this lamb. Or wait, excuse me, they, they drain the blood, and the blood is put over the doorposts, and it drips down, kind of forming a cross there over each doorpost before a cross was even invented. Interesting. So that the angel of death will pass over. The angel of death comes for everybody, doesn't he? He is coming for everyone's physical body. We can't get out of that. But God can spare us from eternal death, our spiritual death. He can. And so now we see about 1,400 years later, it is six days before the Passover. And once again, we see Jesus returned to Bethany, the house of the afflicted. Jesus came to the afflicted in name. He came to be the final Passover lamb. For you and for me, we are afflicted whether we realize it or not. We are under the power of sin and death. And God has called us out of that to life in him. We are in need of a savior. Jesus became our Passover lamb as well. Jesus 
has saved us from the power of sin and death. And we know what the wages of sin is, right? It is death. What is the result of sin? No, it's the payment for sin. The reason why sin is able to get out of our life is because Christ can burn off the chaff with death. And our spiritual, eternal self can live forever. Who allowed death to come into the world? God did. There's a reason for it. Was that his master plan? No, it was not. That's not what he designed. It wasn't perfection. It was a result of sin, the wages of sin. We need a redeemer to pay our wages, right? We've created quite the debt. So Jesus has saved us from the power of sin and death, and we know the wages of sin is death. Death to our physical bodies. There's no getting around it. Everyone dies as a result of sin. The only hope is in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. How does Jesus save us from death? Well, just at the right time. Just at the right time, right? Jesus switched places with us. He took all our shame, our sorrow, our guilt, and pain, and he piled it on his shoulders to be a sacrifice for each one of us. Jesus died on for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. But it doesn't stop there, does it? For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have to have that act of surrender. We recognize that I am fallen, that I am broken. I can't do it. I am no more. Yet not I, but Christ in me. We cry out to Jesus. We ask for him in the name of Jesus to be saved. That is step number one. Does the journey quit there? No. No. A lot of churches across America, the journey will quit there, but not here at White Rose. We develop our fight. Our faith walk at that point, right? And it's not always pretty. It's not always a straight road. It's not always peaches and cream. The grass is always greener on the other side, and it's rocky in my path. Seems like, right? Well, praise God, because you have a risen Savior who's going to get you through that rocky path just fine. Oh, man. <laughs> I wanted to get on the bicycle. I wanted to take the car. I wanted to get straight to heaven. That's not God's plan. For some of us, it is. Salvation, then, then pass away. It's not God's plan for most. He want, calls us to, rock, to walk the rocky road in the name of Jesus. And when we call on him, he then takes his righteousness, and he takes our sin, and he swaps them. He gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin. As a big, good old Christianese word called propitiation, right? It's when Christ takes his righteousness and our sin, and he gives us his righteousness, and he takes our sin away. Boom. Isn't that awesome? That's what that means. So, thanks for asking that, Cody. I know three other people are like, what? How, what's it called? That's a big... CJ. That's what I said. Oh, yeah, I did. 
Sorry. He's paying attention, folks. That's right. So he takes our right, he takes his righteousness, he writes his name on our hearts. He declares us his. Because we've submitted to Jesus, we are now saved by grace through faith. We are called children of God. This is the beginning of our faith walk. My question to you today is have you made that choice? There's no more important choice than that. And it is important to understand, like, of course, I've said that at some point in time, but that act of surrender is eternal, right? You are now called child of God. You now become his own. Your your footsteps are clear to him. He knows the path that you're going to take from that point on. I think that's kind of where predestination starts to go in after free will is given away. He knows the path that you have. It's kind of how I look at it. Not everybody looks at it that way. Because when we choose his grace, we are redeemed, and through redemption we have Christ's resurrection power when we put our faith into action. Do you know back in the day in Jewish times, faith is not faith without action? They aren't two separate words. It was understood if you had faith, it was because you put it into practice. That's not so the case today, is it? Uh, we like to separate those things, which is okay to a point, but um, faith requires action. And the first First step in that, which is where I think we get this a little confused, is that surrender to grace. A lot of people think that's what faith is, and that's it. That's all we need. Hey, uh, that's, that's good. That's justification, but it's not sanctification. If we're going to walk with Jesus, and we're going to walk in a place that we have a relationship with him, we need to walk sanctified with him. So let's look at verse 3 to see some of these bold steps that are taken by Mary and the Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his, her, his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Mary chose to make Jesus her inheritance. What in the world do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Where did we find ourselves again? What was the name of the town? Bethany, the home of the afflicted ones, right? Afflicted means downtrodden, poor, in a sense, right? It's named after the poor. Last week I said Mary had a clearer understanding of Jesus intended to die, and here's why I believe this. In verse 1 we see it is six days before the Passovers. What we... What does everybody do six days before the Passover? Everybody in the Jewish culture is out doing the same thing. Kind of like what we do, say, about 20 days before Christmas. We go out and find the Christmas tree, right? That's a little different than that. They go out and they find their Passover lamb. Okay, Everybody this day has gone out and found their Passover lamb. They've all selected the lamb that they're going to eat for the Passover. They've anointed that lamb. 
Usually they anoint it on the hooves first, and then they anoint it on its back right before. How many times does Jesus get anointed before he goes to the cross? Just guess. It's two that I know of. Two that I know of. So he gets anointed with his feet, and then he gets anointed later with the woman. She weeps, and she anoints his head. And that one, just like the Passover lamb. So all these people, they went out and they selected their land. They anointed it with, guess what, nard, spike, spike nard, which is, would be nard, which is what he used. And they would not use a pure nard because they would consider that a waste. And they would, use, they would not use the whole bottle because that would be a waste. Because nard is very, very expensive. We find it to be a year's wage. And it would be like the family's inheritance. This is why I think Judas spoke up and said, What are you doing? Because culturally, what you just did is crazy. How many times do we allow the culture to creep into our church say, what you're doing is crazy. You can't live like that. And so then we go along to get along and nobody knows a risen Savior because we act just like the world. Right? And so Mary, she gives her inheritance in two different ways. First, she gives the whole bottle. A year's wages. She could have gave one drop and she would have been generous. But no, she gives the whole bottle. And thinking from a guy that doesn't like perfume that much, he'd be like, whoo, doggy, that's a... Oh, man. The whole bottle, huh? It's total guy stuff right there. Of course you got to give the whole bottle, right? She gives it all. She gives everything to Jesus. You are my inheritance now, Lord. You are who I surrender to. I don't have anything in this world. It doesn't matter what I have. I'm giving it all to Jesus, literally at his feet. Bam, busted that jar open. We ain't putting it back in the jar. Right? Can you believe this? This is craziness. Wow. Why would she do something like that? Remember what Jesus did not too long ago? He healed her brother. He showed her, I'm the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe this, Mary? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you think she believes it? She just put her faith into action, didn't she? Boom. This is how much I believe it, Jesus. I am not only going to give you this. I'm going to count the cost of the valuables, and then, following Jesus, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give him my all. Not only am I serving him now, I am going to give you my future as well. You are my security. You are my retirement because I am trusting you with it. That's what the nard was for. Now you are. Wow. Wow. She is all in. She understands. She gets it. 
You are my sustainer in the suffering. Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. And he has ministered to her family through this miracle, and she responds in a way that shows everyone that she is all in for the Lord. My question is, how do we respond when we understand that gift of grace? How do we respond when God shows up in our lives? Not only did she give her future and her life savings to the Lord, she gave God her glory. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, notice how she cleans up the nard. She doesn't do it to give glory to herself. Oh, this is expensive perfume. I'm going to put it on my hair and I'll smell pretty all the rest of the day. It's going to be great. That's not why she did that. It's ridiculous. She probably looked like an idiot. They're like, you got nard in your hair. That's, not, that's used for like barrel things. Why are you walking around with nard? Because I anointed my Savior's feet. Let me tell you about it. Is she going to get away from that for like a week? That, that nard is going to be in her hair. It is, it's like if I were selling doTERRA. So, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't. But Linda does. You get peppermint. You spill peppermint, you smell that for a week. It is there forever. And if you put pure peppermint on your skin, you'll know because it'll burn you, right? And it is strong, strong stuff. Nard is the same thing. It's very potent stuff. It may have ruined her hair. I don't know. I don't know what Nard would do to somebody's hair. She gives it to Jesus. There's nothing more precious to a Jewish woman than her hair. And she gives it to Jesus by cleaning up an, the anointment that was on his feet. Can you believe that? This woman's crazy. That's how the, that's how the disciples responded. Get, what are you doing? Mary, Mary, get up. You don't understand. And she clearly say. No, you don't understand. Because what's Jesus going to do to their feet soon? You wonder where he got the idea from. Not he's God, so he got it, but right? It's along the same family of thought, right? Wow. Wow. Can you see the symbolism here? She gives her best, her glory, her hair for his stinky feet. Dusty, dirty, trash. And she cleans up. She gives her best. Wow. Yeah. Can you see the symbolism? We are to use our glory, our talent, our property, our family, our blessings to bless others to Jesus. It is a joy to be able to give. It is a joy. I can't, I can't express that any more than that. That right there is the reason to give an offering. Do you understand that? I mean, I, I've been harping on that a lot lately. And uh, Josh told us we're not as far off in the offering as we are. We're actually like 600 bucks above um, so like our income and our expenses. So we're making it. But it's, that's not what it's about. It's not, oh, we're out of the red. Woohoo! 
it's nice. And for pastors, like, well, yay. But man, it is a surrender. It's an act of surrender. Woo. Praise God, I can give my glory to Jesus to bless others, to go and serve the least like they are Jesus. And as a result, the house was blessed with this act of service. Everyone got to experience the nard. Everybody's going to be telling about that woman. Do you remember when Mary did that? Do you remember that? Can you? I, we smelled that on us for a week, let alone Jesus. Because when we choose his grace, we are redeemed. And through redemption, we have Christ's resurrection power. When we put our faith into action. Verse 4 says, Now Judas Iscariot, the disciple whom, who would soon betray him, said that the perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. He is talking to a poor crowd, folks. They understand what poor is. Their town is named after it. <laughs> for crying out loud. They're like, you should have given that to the... Oh, wait, the poor gave it to... Oh. Can you see how his argument fizzles out really fast? But his righteous indignation is like, oh, we should have given that to the poor. We should have done it. Oh, Mary, shame on you. You ever, you ever get that before? I know I have. I know I have. I've been in plenty of churches like, what are you doing? I remember dancing at, at Dulas one year. We were singing praise and worship songs for a little bit too long in my book, and so I'm losing my kids. I'm, a, I'm the youth sponsor, and I'm like, we're getting into this. And so I started jumping around, having a good time. I know it's hard to believe that I would ever do something like that. And the guy behind me goes, oh, that's not what, that's not, that's not worship. You, you need to be somber. Well, that's worship too. I, I don't disagree with you, but so is this. And if we don't do this, I'm going to lose my kids. So I'm going to keep doing this. And I turned around to him and I said, I know what I'm doing. Thank you. And he talked to me afterwards. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. You didn't offend me. That's least of your worries. The big guy upstairs you got to watch out for, right? My heart was in the right place. That's what we're looking for. Your heart in the right place. Faith can go into action. But Jesus, he chose himself, didn't he? He does it really slick. Really slick. He's a master deceiver at this point, talking about the masses, but really meaning himself. We could have given it to the poor. I'm just glad people don't do that today. Man, right? Isn't that ridiculous? That's like every politician I've ever heard on TV. Oh, we're here to help you. We're here to help you. Line my pockets. You just don't finish the sentence. And sometimes, unfortunately, we see that with pastors too, don't we? Anytime we get into leadership, it's easy to put that focus on to us. And once you see that, one, you better call me out on it. And two, if it continues, 
you better start the Matthew 18 process, right? If you got a problem with your brother, you go to your brother, you talk to me first. Then you go to the elders. And if the elders won't do anything, then you better cry it out from the mountaintops and let everybody else know, right? That's accountability. That's the scrutiny that I put myself as a pastor under. I'm submitting to your authority. I submit to the elders first, congregation second. Obviously, the Lord first, I guess. So, Lord, elders, and uh, then the congregation, right? But if you got a problem, we need to we need to work it out. That's how it works. So, we take this master deceiver, and he's ready to take it for himself. The only concern was his cost or the profit. Man, we could have. He wasn't concerned about Mary. He wasn't concerned about Jesus, and he missed the act of surrender. He missed the act of worship. What are you doing? Stop! Can you see him running across the room? No! Don't do it! Jesus is like, dude, what are you doing? I'm sure he said dude, too. So where are some other places we hear today? The greater good, it may start something bigger like the government. We're providing a service for the greater good. But the truth is, there can be a lot of deception in there. Uh, you get the call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call. Um, I got one this week for the police association. You ever ask them how much they give to the, directly to the officers? It's, it's little to none. It's like 5 to 7%, I think. Actually, goes, the rest goes to administration costs. And I get it, but I'm going to give to my local officer, which we have as a church, by the way. We've given to, at least there I know it's going to go straight to the, the foundation where it needs to go. Oh, And there's others. There's tons of scams. There's scams in the church. There's scams with um, used clothing. You want to give to a good used clothing store, you give to the Salvation Army. Goodwill I have a little bit harder time giving to. Because it's harder. Because they don't necessarily they don't they're not for profit, but they're not necessarily for not profit either. It's hard for me to give there. Um, but I think ninety-eight percent of all clothes given to donations given to Salvation Army go back into the what it's supposed to go to. It's pretty obvious to me that's a good organization to give to. When you give to the bell ringers, it goes where it needs to go, okay? The poor, afflicted, and things, yeah. So the greater good, does it apply to some? Yes, it applies to the law. They have it under what I mean. Let me back up. So... Does it apply to all, or does it apply to some? For example, if we're passing new laws for health care, does it apply to the lawgivers just as much as it gives to the people they're giving it to? Not always. It didn't in this last one. That was the biggest problem I had. If you're going to apply it to my life, it better apply to your families too. It applies 
at home because God calls us to live a life of worship. Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Don't do the job halfway. Don't do it halfway. Give your glory to the Lord. That means doing your best for your employer. When your boss is a jerk, you still give your best. When you don't necessarily agree with it, but you understand why, it, or it's boring and tedious work, you give your best. Okay? If you don't agree with it, it's time to find a new job. But while you're doing that job, you give your best. Okay? Love sacrificially takes commitment, and if the decision affects the whole family, the whole family should be in on the decision. I think about times when members of ours have had um, adoption. When it affected the whole family, the whole family got to vote on whether we're adopting or not. That's a good practice. When it comes to moving, we're, the whole family's moving. What do you think? We need to ask the whole family. Ultimately, it's the father's decision because that man is the head of the household. But he better be bringing that along, his family alongside instead of just trying to plow through. It don't work like that. It will never go well with you if you plow through. Because usually when you're plowing, you're pushing against the Lord, not just your family. Right? So you need to listen. I, I, I see this throughout the years at White Rose. Almost every single decision that we put through as an elder team has been unanimous. Almost every single one. There's only maybe one or two that I've heard a dissenting vote on. And those, usually when one descends, we all descend and take back. We need to take back. Yes, the concept is a good concept. The application is not. We need to rethink the application. And when we put it through the funnel, as Craig would say, several times, what comes out is usually better than the first idea that we went into. And I, all the elders, I think, can speak to this, that that's true, right? It's, it's amazing if, like, I come, I've come with some really great ideas, and I'm like, this is it. And they're like, well, have you thought of this, this, and this? And I'm like, no, I did not. And by the time I come back to the table with a new idea or it's nixed all together, it's better than the first one, by far, the application to it. And it gets closer to Jesus. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Bring him to Jesus. Submit to the Lord. Moving forward together. So how do we do this? We submit to the Lord. Does it follow his plan first? Does it go with his word? Second, we count the cost. Can your family integrity stand up to the new load? Thinking in the process of adoption, it's not easy bringing somebody else's family values into your family of values, right? Thinking about marriage, do your family values match up to her family values? Think about dating. Is he even a Christian? It goes right down the line, right? Count the cost. Can your integrity hold up to it? Can you afford it? Can you afford the wedding? Can you afford that extra amount of feed? Can you afford moving to the next state, buying the new house? Is their cost of living more than yours is? What time commitment does this take? 
Is the family ready and willing to make the sacrifices where needed? If we move, we can't have cable. We're going to have to go down to the local McDonald's to get our homework done. Because we need that extra 100 bucks a month to pay for the mortgage. But God's calling us there. Can we make that sacrifice? If we can't, then we can't go. If we can, we better work it out. Take time to discuss, answer the questions, and get questions answered. Right? Before moving forward. So when we choose His grace, we are redeemed, and through that redemption, we find Christ's resurrection power when we put our faith into action. Finally, we get to the last verses. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. We will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the leading priests and decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Look at there. Mary's inheritance of her brother back to life, it's gone again. Lazarus didn't make it much longer than Jesus did. They're coming to Jesus because Lazarus is here. We're going to kill Jesus and we're going to kill Lazarus. Okay? Who's Mary's inheritance? It's Jesus. He's dead. Now what you got? I got my brother. He's dead too. I'm a woman in a culture that needs a man to get by. Who do I got? Yeah. But we know she's got Jesus, doesn't she? Yeah. She's all in. Jesus provides for Mary. We don't know how because we don't know the rest of the story, but we know Jesus provides for Mary because he's provided for me in those situations as well. I believe Judas wrongly interprets Mary's actions for those of celebration. Yay, look, we got Jesus here. Yay, we're excited. No. Jesus quickly corrects Judas, and he says, this is for my death. I think the disciples are having a hard time thinking about Jesus dying. No, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be the you're going to take your power into the the world. No. When they're sitting, they're eating and drinking with Lazarus. This is proof of your power, Lord, and was who raised Jesus from the dead. And the crowds, they start gathering to see Jesus and Lazarus and the crowds, they shift in favor of Jesus. Right here, Jesus has got it. All he's got to do is seal the deal, right? He could take over. Unstoppable. He could have taken the world by force. He could have used God's power to take whatever he wanted. He could have been all about the mission, right? But Jesus is more concerned about the message rather than the mission, Serving God, he could have been out serving God and taking names and look what I've done. That that would have distorted the message. Never distort what God has to say. Never distort his message. Because the message is more important than the mission. And as I promised, 
call to worship today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on the rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, the wind beats against the house and it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does doesn't obey, is foolish. Like a person who's built on a house on sand, when the rain and floods came, the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Is more important is it more important to look good on the outside or stand firm with a foundation underneath on the inside? In the case of the house of Jesus, Jesus says it's better and more important to have a firm foundation. That is key. When life hits you from all sides, will you allow God to work? Or will you crumble into the world, into the culture that says everyone's doing it? It feels good. Do it. That's so wrong. Examine your life, White Rose. Examine your life, Christian, and find where you're compromising your integrity. Where are your floorboards twisted? Because they're losing their integrity. Firm them up with God's word. Firm them up with his salvation. Because if it feels good, because if everyone's doing it, it's probably a good time to confess to the Lord it's time to walk away from that sin and walk toward the grace of Jesus. Because when we choose his grace, we are redeemed, and through redemption, we have Christ's resurrection power when we put our faith into action. I hope you have a better understanding of what God's grace is this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection power. We thank you for being... Um, our Redeemer, our hope, our strength. Lord, I pray and I ask in Jesus' name that we would surrender to you in a mighty way. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open up our lives to see the wonderful things that you have for us and that we would understand what your grace means, poured out, overflowing, a cup that um, we cannot contain. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You are our Redeemer. Lord, we pray that redemption would come before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Go with God.